Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, Matt. Hey, how are things? Okay? Very well. Yeah, all going well here. Back home now. It's been a busy old week. Been dashing around. Been up in up in Scotland. Um, yeah, but fun. Actually, linking to our guest, um, doing some filming on, in Glasgow on Tuesday. And then went up to Sky. I had a, a sporting challenge for the first time in many years um, on two wheels. I was racing Ross Edgley, who's a, an, an ultra marathon swimmer oh, yeah. up in Sky. He was swimming across Loch Harport. I was trying to cycle around it as fast as I could, um, all for World Ocean Day um, with Talisker and Parley for the Ocean. So that was brilliant. I've never been to Sky before, and it was just it been, looks beautiful. Honestly, people people rave about it, and you think, yeah, 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 I'm sure it's lovely. <laughs> and you go up there, and it's, I'm embarrassed to admit I've never been before. It's absolutely stunning. Like absolutely breathtaking. Not, and I'm sure it's not every day of the year that you get weather like we had. But I think even in the rain, I think it would be, you know, an incredible place to visit. But we got so lucky with the weather; it was unforgettable. Amazing. Are you, trip. Are you allowed to say whether you won the race? Is that or is that? Yeah, top it's it's all out now. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I won it. Smashed them. <laughs> 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 no, it was it was this, this, the hard thing was it was very arbitrary distance. Um, you know he. It, it was almost impossible to try and get a close challenge. So yeah. he was swimming, I think, five and a half kilometers, and they'd estimated about it's about 28, 29 k's for me, but with quite a lot of climbing. And it, you know, the conditions change with the water minute mm-hmm. by minute. The conditions change with wind on the road. So trying to get two completely different physical challenges and match them as closely as possible, I think the organizers organizers did a brilliant job. Yeah. Um, and I just edged it. He came in all covered in jellyfish stings and stuff um you know yeah he, he, he had a much tougher gig i thought i was i was, I was pressing on I hadn't, I hadn't done that kind of race effort since i was about 17 or 18 because i didn't i, I raced on the road until i was mm. a junior and then i didn't do it as a senior so it's been 30 years since i did that kind of effort did you so enjoy really, the efforts um, i did you know in, in a, yeah and it was absolutely spectacular and it almost felt like closed roads because it was so quiet um the backdrop of the mountains and the just everything everything it was it was amazing really enjoyed it and I, it gave me the impetus to, to train quite hard for the last couple of months out in Greece I was doing a fair bit of mileage out there so yeah I had a fantastic time yeah and then went back to Edinburgh on the way back and yeah I attended Richard Moore's memorial cycle oh, yeah. and yeah. at his event so Richard Moore was um, a good friend of mine and a colleague, colleague of yours and friend yeah. of yours sporting journalist author ex-athlete himself in the all right, lovely team. guy as well amazing guy and it was such an emotional day um but i think he would have been proud the tributes were just incredible um and to find out all the things you know hear the stories from his school friends uni friends <laughs> colleagues family um and i said a few words too it was it was a it was a really it was a lovely event and i think it was much needed by his family too it's been a year since he passed away and it's the yeah. first time they've managed to get all the, you know, all his friends and, and family together for so more like a cel- celebration rather than anything. Yeah, else. like a, obviously that was hard, but yeah, yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. Um, Orla Shenui was the um, the MC for the day, and she did a brilliant job. Um, but yeah, very emotional. Every everybody at some point cracked when they were doing their little speech. Ah. It was just one of those ones where you know, and every time you think, oh, they, they got through it, okay, and then just at the end, it's always. Yeah, just little things that, that catch and you can't believe that he's not there anymore. But what what an amazing life he led and what an impact he had on so many people. 
Oh, he was such a such a nice guy. I, I sort of got to know him through a story I did originally, and he couldn't have been more helpful. Like us journalists don't always help each other out, but he couldn't have been nicer and kinder. So I got to know him through that, and was really gracious with his time. And I, I, you always hear stories of him helping out a variety of people. And he was the lifeblood of the cycling podcast as well, wasn't he? Just just such a sort of force of nature with it as well. It was, it yeah. was, and because he's he's one of those friends that you would see, you know, maybe five, ten. 20 times a year, but he wouldn't be part of every single day of your, of your life. So hmm. because he's not part of that daily routine, I still keep expecting to see him at events. So you forget that he's not with us anymore. So it's, um, yeah, it's tough, but you know, what an amazing life he led and yeah. what, what an impact he's had in the time yeah. that he had. Yeah, very true. So today, um, our guest is somebody who I met on Tuesday in Glasgow. I was filming we can talk about this now. We can't talk about the result, but um, <laughs> I was filming Richard Osman's House of Games. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Which is a show that I love watching on the TV. And um, Ola Labib is our guest today. She's a stand-up comic. She was on the on the show. We were competing against each other, so I can confirm she is very competitive, <laughs> um, as was I. I was d- disproportionately competitive, which we can chat about <laughs> later on when, uh, when Ola comes on. But, um, yeah, she's been... A bit of a trailblazer in the, the stand-up comedy world, and she's she's doing incredibly well. Um, and you can check her out online. Obviously, all her all her videos on TikTok and on Instagram and YouTube. And she's touring just now, and she's doing all the big all the big comedy festivals too. So, you allowed to talk about the challenges that you're up? Like, what what are the challenges that you do? Is it same each each one with the with the show? Well, or for House of Games, it's yeah. it's basically just very sort of lateral thinking and. Yeah general knowledge, completely random subjects. H from Steps was on, which was really exciting. Rosie Jones, yep. who I'd met before, been at an event with her before. So it, it was a really, really fun day, but quite full on because you filmed five episodes um, all in one day, and then they're shown Monday to Friday. I'll wait before I tell you too much about it, but let, let's get all on, and then we can, uh, we can chat about it with her. Perfect. Hi, guys. Hi, Ola. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is this is Matt, by the way, Matt Magendi. Hey, nice how you to doing? meet you, Matt. You guys have been uh, battling against each other, I hear, of competitive fashion. It was such an unfair disadvantage. If I knew Chris was doing, it, I wouldn't even have come on the show. <laughs> we haven't I haven't given away any results or anything, but I have said that we had. It was a brilliant day, I and mean, I, I had such a fun time. You know, it was, a, it was a long day. Obviously, you've got to film all five shows in one day. But it starts out. I don't know what you. I don't know what your perception of the day was. But for me, it was like, oh, nice and relaxed, starting out, just a bit of fun. There's no studio audience. It's dead relaxed. But inevitably, whenever there's any sort of competitive element, that the kind of the chimp inside me starts to get a little bit, you know, excited. And then just yeah, I got I got super competitive, which I <laughs> fringing about like Rose. You know, we're, we're talking about. Um, Waking up at 4 a.m. with that kind of, oh my God, did I say that? Did I do that? You know, I woke up just thinking, I got way too, way too competitive. That was, that was just a bit silly. It was in your, it's in your DNA, anyways, isn't it? Like, um, you, you play a competitive sport. It's just, it's literally in your DNA. Um, my agent was like, right, Ola, did people get to your personality? You know, did you make everybody laugh? I was like, listen, Polly, I was so <laughs> focused on winning. I didn't even <laughs> care what people thought of me. Um, I, I like I was competitive from the get-go because I know um, a lot of people would be dependent on me because I told you some of my other um, friends slash colleagues went on the show and did really badly and um, because like known in the circuit for being like a healthcare professional so I'm a pharmacist I've been a pharmacist for like 11 years um, so people already have this perception that I'm intelligent and I just didn't want to ruin that perception which I decided a little bit <laughs> Um, no, you yeah, did brilliantly. Like... I think if I was a little bit faster on the buzzer, if it wasn't for some people being on the show, <laughs> I, I think I could have potentially have done well. But it was okay. It's funny you two talking about the competitive thing because I sometimes hate how competitive I can become. Like we have this games even with a bunch of friends, uh, board games, and like different couples get together, and I, I just alarmed how competitive I am in, in an environment which doesn't matter whatsoever. And you do wake up in the morning a bit like, oh, did I? Did I sort of overdo never. it? Never. Okay. Okay. I'm a safe, safe space here with you two. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it's because the industry that I work in is very competitive, anyways. And um, I think one of the 
flaws I went to this industry with is that I wasn't competitive. I did it because I loved it. And that is literally what it evolved around. And then the more and more like you start progressing, the more, unfortunately, the um, love and passion for it takes a back seat and you're feeling like you're competing, um, which shouldn't really be the case if you love entertaining, if you love comedy, if you love writing. But I think in whatever you do in life, it is all a competition, whether we like it or not. Everything is a competition. And um, I guess it depends on how competitive you are and how far you make it. I think it's okay to be competitive as long as you can, as long as you can accept when it when you don't win, and as also, as long as you don't get too carried away with it, whether it goes well or not so well. It's I think in in the heat of the moment, it's more fun. If you're going to play a game, you may as well invest in it 100, yeah. give it your all, and and but then afterwards, it's you know not dwelling on it. Um, yeah, it's, I think to me, it's you know I suppose what we try and pass on, or what I'm trying to pass on to our kids is if you're going to do something, give it your all. You know, do it with passion, but don't worry about winning or losing because that's all part of the process but just get, throw yourself at it have fun with it and try and enjoy it yeah I, 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 I don't know how much to like because I'm not a parent yet but I don't I can't I'd have to really grip my teeth and tell my kids it's not the winning it's the taking part <laughs> because it's not it's the winning <laughs> it is so I don't want like you know I'd, I'd hate my kids because um, my parents are very much it's the winning not the taking part and my younger brother he's 16 um, whenever he didn't do the best or if he didn't win. And I just, I remember his year four sports day where he was really, I could see the tears streaming down his face whenever he didn't win. And I think oh. it's because he was raised on, well, if you're not winning, then what's the point kind of thing? You have to get in there to win. So I do, um, I did, a, I did a charity football match the other day and it was literally, um, I went in there with the thought of, you know what, it's just for charity. It's not competitive. And it was 11 aside. One of the teams was all men, like big, burly, you know, men who play football in this. But they, they work for a company, but they also have a football team. And in the other team, I think about seven of us were women and it was three men. And we were like, oh, well, obviously, it's just going to be a bit of fun or whatever. These guys were playing hard. They were playing hard. And I was like, is this like some gimmick? Is it a, is it a joke? So I was um, up front, striker um, on the right side. So I was teamed up with this like big Asian guy who was the captain as well. So I, I'm a bit of a fast runner. Fitness level's close to zero now, but I'm a fast runner. So I managed to get the ball and he was, and so I was running with it and he was like, oh, I hope you're not going to make me run. This guy actually like challenged me, but like, like challenged me and I did fall over. And I was like, my God. I was like, I know it's a competition, but we're the team that are playing for the kids with cancer. Like, calm down a little bit. <laughs> my God. This kid is watching and hoping that we win. Like, just calm down a little bit, for goodness oh, sake. I'm like, I'm a 53-kilogram woman. This guy must be at least, I'd say, between 85 to 95. You should choose your competition. There's, you don't want to cross the line looking like a knob. The sort of guy who has to beat his kids at sport as well, I'm sure. The competitive dad. Remember the fast uh, show? Did you, did you ever see the fast show oh, back I in loved, the day? I love that. Toby. Competitive dad, yeah. He's shouting to his son, Toby. <laughs> and I remember he's, he's playing cricket and he scores, he hits it into the into the woods or whatever, and then he's still going, 401, <laughs> 402, 999. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> there are dads like that, though. That's what's yeah. funny. There are. So so football is your sport, isn't it? Oh, that's, that's what you used to play when you were younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly football. Uh, all my family kind of played football, supported football. And um, so I was, I had two brothers who were very football orientated. So, so was I naturally, I didn't have any sisters. Um, my mum worked during the day. My dad worked during the night. So I was around my dad most of my childhood. So I practically lived with three football maniacs. So naturally I was a football maniac as well growing up. Um, but yeah, I loved football. I loved playing it. Um, I played for the school team and I really wanted to go professional. But yeah, that didn't happen. Um, why, why was that? Was that your choice? No, I would have I would have loved to. I would have maybe not like it be my nine to five, but I, I would have loved to have taken it to a professional level just to see how well I did. Because growing up, especially in the 90s in Portsmouth, like you didn't get a lot of girls playing football. 
Um, and it was really annoying when you'd play with the other guys because they'll be like, oh, let's put her in goal. Let's put her in goal. Like as if like being in goal was the punishment. Um, but I really loved playing. And when I did play with the guys, I, I played better than most of them at my um, age group as well. And it always bothered my younger brother, who was a year younger than me, that I was better than him as well. Um, but I think I wanted to play just to prove to people that you can, you know, you, you can be good, be a girl and still be really good at it. But, you know, like typical immigrant parents, you know, focus on your education, focus on your career, um, focus on getting good grades. You know, football's not a sport for women. You know, we let you play this long as a girl for fun but now that you're getting older and stuff you kind of it's very like um not feminine so we want you to do more feminine stuff like maybe get into drawing or maybe get into this in your spare time but football wasn't going to be an option for like an adult woman and, and uh, well yeah but i mean but you forced your way in in comedy i mean how did they react to that at what stage did you start thinking about comedy or see it as a potential career I mean, you're saying you're, you're, I guess, are you still a pharmacist now as well as doing your comedy or have you committed 100% to the, the comedy? So I've committed 100% to comedy. Um, I committed about two years ago, 100% to comedy. Um, with um, post-COVID, healthcare has been really understaffed. So when there's certain sectors that are really understaffed, they would still reach out to me and be like, oh, can you do a few days here? Can you do a few days there? And if I do have that gap, I will go and help. And I do think it's important. I do want to keep like, my knowledge I I'm, I'll always register every single year um just so that I'm on the pharmacy register but comedy is something I've always loved comedy is something I've always grown up with you know we grew up watching comedy shows we grew up you know with the Eddie Murphy's with the Dave Chappelle's like that was like um, a big part of what we used to watch on TV um but again same as with the football our parents wanted us growing up doing professional stuff like I can I can't I can't fathom going into um see my parents and be like by the way you know I'm studying pharmacy but I really want to do comedy it's not something I would even think about saying to my parents so I did wait a lot longer in life I started comedy later not that I don't care about my age but later in my uh, <laughs> in my life um I started comedy and um well obviously my parents aren't happy with it but you know it just gets to a point where it's like you have to start looking at your happiness over others you have to start looking at what what, what is the reason like if it's about success you can be a successful comedian is it because of is it um a professional a, a professional job it can be a professional job like it's like what about what what are the boundaries to the reasoning as to why and I started thinking about like, there's literally no reason, no acceptable reason that I shouldn't be doing it. And so I, I did it and I'm really enjoying it. Um, and I would never have met you guys if I didn't pursue a career like this. So there's always advantages. Well, likewise, I mean, I, when I was, I was at university, I was doing maths and physics and I, I just wasn't enjoying it at all. And I, and I, my, my dream was to become a professional cyclist, but there was, there just wasn't a, a a, a realistic pathway there was nothing at that stage there wasn't funding there wasn't even an indoor track in the UK it was just a pipe dream it was a hobby and then when I went to my parents and said look I, I'm really not enjoying this course I'm really not enjoying the physics or the maths I want to go and do sports science and I want to change universities and come back to Edinburgh I think I think they must have at the time thought I was I was absolutely crazy you know here's what you know in their eyes was like a, a good degree um, that would have opportunities and different careers off the back of it. And I was looking to do this newfangled thing called sports science, which, you know, it was the second year they were offering it as a degree. But it was the same thing. It was something that I, I was had a passion for sport, I had a passion for my cycling. And it was, I guess, risky back then. But you've got to follow your passions because then I think you work you harder do. at it. And then you've got, you know, and, and also, do you know what? There's no guarantees it's going to work. You know, there was no guarantee at that point. It wasn't like I was thinking... I'm going to go out and win an Olympic gold medal and it'll be fine. It was just, I just want to see how far I can go on this journey and, and have fun with it. And who knows, maybe I can come back to physics and maths if it doesn't work out or I can do something else. But I guess parents are always looking out. They're worried about you. They're always worried thinking, you know, are they going to be able to support themselves? Are they going to have a good life? Exactly. Are they going to have this and this? So it's not so much about trying to put pressure or trying to force you to do things you don't want to do. It's they just want the best for you, don't they? 
because they, th- they think this is like a competitive market like how many people want to be professional cyclists how many people want to win the olympics how many people want to do this how many people want to be comedians how many people want to be writers how many people want to be journalists it's such a small um it's such a it's a, such a small pool and you've got hundreds of thousands of people competing for the same thing so i think our parents want us to do something that we are guaranteed to get a job with it once we finish um but I do agree with you in the sense that, like, I get that our parents care and want us to do something that they know that we can later on work and do it. Like, my dad always says, well, I don't always enjoy my job, but, you know, it puts food on the table. But I don't want to spend the rest of my, that's if by the time, like, by the time we're working, our retirement ages are going to be like 107. So it's going to be <laughs> what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. But I'd rather be doing something that I enjoy. And I always said that because people talk about money and let's be honest, like you want to do something you enjoy, but you want to make money from what you enjoy. I've always said I would risk making half of what I made as a pharmacist and and, and enjoy what I'm doing for less money. And I do stick by that. What would you have done with your maths and physics if you'd um, stuck to it, do you think? Well, that's a that's a brilliant question. I I genuinely don't know. I think that was part of the problem. I didn't see uh, it was just this. Well, I enjoyed maths and physics at school, so it was the natural progression, go to university, get a degree with it, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have, you know, when I was lying awake at night thinking about things that I enjoyed, it, it, it wouldn't have involved maths and physics. It was thinking about racing my bike and the places I could go and the, the events that I might be able to take part in, and wouldn't that be amazing? I used to daydream about that, not about what the physics and maths would have would have given me. So it's... Yeah, I, th- I just feel the world has changed so much in the last 30 or 40 years. What's well, changed a lot in the last five years. But, um, mm. you know, in the last generation, what our parents, the, the advice they were given from their parents and the way the world has changed, you know, used to get a, you'd get a job for life. You would leave school, you'd get an apprenticeship or you'd get a degree or you'd, you'd find your career. And that was it until you were 65 and you would retire and then you would sit and butter in the garden. But it's life is, is very different now, different opportunities. We were chatting about this um, previously, Matt, weren't we about yeah. you know you're you're traveling around the world, going to Miami, Monaco, Paris, following all these amazing sporting events, writing about them, getting to see the best <laughs> athletes in the world competing, and and you think you've got to pinch yourself sometimes when you when you follow your dream, when you get the chance to do what you love, you work harder at it. If you work harder at something, you increase your odds of of being successful. Nice. And yeah. I was saying to Chris on another one that, that I still talk about, because this is what I always wanted to do to be a sports journalist. It just so happened that that came into my head at whatever age. And while I took a different path studying initially, that's where I went. Um, what did you study initially? Ancient history. I mean, it's just of no use whatsoever, but I'm really interested in the subject. You'd be good at House of Games, though, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you would have smashed it. So, so I, st- I was saying to Chris how I still talk about what I'll do when I grow up in my mid-40s as I am now, because I still don't feel like it's quite real because I've been able to do kind of like dream job. And so it's important while, you know, you get some weeks that are harder than others and don't enjoy some bits. Um, it's important to sort of appreciate it, I think, if you're have a cool job like that oh 100 percent. oh yeah. my god i think i think i'm gonna uh, switch to sports journalism now <laughs> but it's true like um again i, I don't want to say i hated my job but i just knew it wasn't for me do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and one of the hardest things i hated the feeling of waking up and going oh god not again not again not again do you know what i mean it just really um and i don't have that with comedy like i'm i'm excited when I perform I'm excited for when I do this I'm excited to show someone a piece of work and um yeah I understand stability is important but that feeling of what if that is what I think will haunt me forever if I never did it I would be like what if what if what if what if what if and I think it's okay this is like a bit I personally think it's a little bit more difficult for women whether it be in sport, whether it be in the industry, because they always want young, young blood, young, fresh meat. You know what I mean? So, like, I knew if I didn't start now, it would be so much harder later. And, yeah, I think living with the what-if would probably be one of the most difficult things because then that's when, like, you'll start um, resenting the people that you think got in the way. So imagine, Chris, your parents were like, no, you're not doing it. Carry on with maths, this and yeah. that. 
he'd be watching like five years down the line, watching somebody like win an Olympic medal for cycling. What a horrible feeling. You'd be like, what if that was me? Yeah. And I just don't think, and I would really resent, like if I, when I watch TV, like when I watch, when I used to watch comedians, I'm not going to say which ones, but I'd be like, I reckon I could have done that set better or I could have done that set better or I could have done that better. What if that was me? What if I took that step and I could have been on that show or this or that or this or that? I would resent anybody that stood in my way or resented anyone that could have potentially. And even now, even though I'm doing what I love, I kind of resent people that got in the way of me doing it earlier. Because I'm like, if I did it earlier, what would I have been? What, where would I have been now? Do you know what I mean? So I, that, that was like something that like plays in my mind. So not doing it at all. Yeah. yeah. And it's always, it's better to try and fail than, than to never try at all. Because, exactly. you know, I think people are afraid to fail in life. And it's, you know, failure is, is just part of the journey. You've got to learn. You learn so much from getting it wrong. And if you can yeah. use that in a positive way, you can come back and tweak it and change it. Or how, why did it go wrong? How can I improve? next time around that's that's how you improve that's just that's life isn't exactly. it exactly oh exactly like we're, we're we're a family of um i think only one of my siblings stuck to what he graduated in doing so my older brother's a doctor i'm a pharmacist so my older brother's still a doctor i'm a pharmacist gone into comedy my younger brother's um uh, a mechanical engineer now he's an art director for an advertisement company oh, wow. um my younger sister she studied pharmacy for three years when i started doing comedy she was just like yeah i don't want to do pharmacy like it's not for me i only did it because you did it and mom and dad want me to do it and i you know you're you're financially stable but i don't want to do it so she dropped out of uni oh good and now she works as an um art director uh for channel four and it took a long time it's not easy um you know you don't go from a to b like straight away the internships the free work the this the that the loss but i'm not saying it for everyone it works but i do believe if you're really passionate about what you do if you really believe in what you do and if and this is very important if you're good <laughs> what you do you can always I, I can't see why you can't get to it it can take longer it can take years but if you don't take that risk then you have to be passionate enough about that thing in order to make it so talk, to make us, that risk. talk us through the process and so from the the first time that you had the idea of becoming a stand-up comic was that years and years before you became a pharmacist? Was it when you were a kid? Was it later on? You know, what what, what was the process of, I'd, I'd love to do this. I think I'd like to do it, make a plan, and then actually making it come to fruition. How, how does that, because I think a lot of people think they have dreams, they have ideas, but actually making it happen, it, it's a whole different kettle of fish. It's, it takes a lot of like, um, hyping yourself up come on you can do this you can do this you can do this you can do this but I always wanted to, for me it wasn't even comedy I always wanted to host my own show so I used to always like watch um certain tv shows I used to love the Graham Norton show the Jonathan Ross show um but I always wanted some like I used to watch the Jeremy Kyle show quite a lot and um <laughs> I've seen um, one of your jokes about the Jeremy Kyle show actually oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I love the Jeremy Kyle show and but I didn't really understand how actually terrible it is back then but I always wanted to have my own show and um I used to think to myself why not like why not um obviously growing up you didn't see a lot of people that looked like me on tv even now you don't see a lot of people that look like me on tv but I always wanted to be that first person and I would always tell myself that um and it was always like nah it's never gonna happen nah it's never then I'd hype myself up and I'd be like nah it's never gonna happen but then when I reached the stage in my career where I was a clinical pharmacist, I did a postgraduate master's, I specialised in cardiology, I was, you know, quite senior at what I do. I was like, okay, what next? Like, what next? And it just felt like I was continuously trying to better myself as a pharmacist to try and um, reach that level of satiety with what I was already doing. But it didn't matter how much I was specialising, how much everybody was like, oh, we want Ola in this hospital. Oh, we've got a shortage. We need Ola here. We need Ola there. We need Ola to manage this. Even though it felt good that people wanted me, it wasn't, it, 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 I just wasn't satisfied. So um, I think 
eventually I had a really good friend of mine who always wanted to be a fashion designer and she was an optometrist and um, she did it in her spare time and she entered a competition and she she won and she went from being an optometrist to now having her own brand and she was like if I can do it you can do it to Ola like you enjoy comedy you want to do stand-up you want to have your own tv show it's a step-by-step and she really encouraged me to do an open mic um and I was living in Manchester at the time so every time I'd put my name down I'd be like nah put my name down now put my name down now I was like nah I can't and I was like what what am I going to joke about so I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan like a massive Lord of the Rings fan (laughs) and it's very niche that I did like um almost like a 10 minute set on Lord of the Rings joke and I thought who's gonna get it <laughs> the first t- so the first time I performed there was literally like two audience members in this like grubby pub in like North Manchester and they were both completely high and paralytic drunk so I <laughs> could have been like reading the Oxford Dictionary they wouldn't have known any less but I was giving these proper Lord of the Rings bangers but they're very niche so like not many people will know the, the Prancing Pony pub or Oh, the Nazgul's, they're like, maybe people don't know about this, but it just happened that the promoter was a Lord of the Rings fan. And I can hear him like roaring with laughter. <laughs> at really, at really neat Lord of the Rings jokes that only absolute losers would understand. Um, but he asked me to come back and he was just like, I'll come back, but um, maybe do jokes that are a bit like, you know, broad that other people will understand. And, you know, I'd get advice, like, talk about yourself, talk about your experiences. People want to come and watch you and they want to leave knowing something new about you. So he bought, he, he's, he's a guy called Jason Cook. He's such an amazing guy. Always shout him out, even though he still works at that same grubby pub doing open mics. Um, my career wouldn't have started if it wasn't for him. Um, so I went back a few times and then there was another comedian um, called Sean Paskowski. Um, he doesn't do comedy anymore. He was in the open mic circuit. But he put me in touch with other open mics. So it was just like audience members of five or ten. Most of the time, they were all comedians wanting to perform as well. And that's literally how it started. And then you just like start like doing more, 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 more. And I entered my first competition at the Frog and Bucket. Do you live in Manchester? Are you familiar with Manchester? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've lived. Well, I lived in sort of in and around Manchester now for over twenty years. It's, it's where the the velodrome is based. So I came down when I was twenty three. Oh, and, okay. Uh, or twenty twenty five, and yeah, been down in this part of the world for half my lifetime. Oh, okay, that's amazing. So, um, yeah. like Manchester Town Centre. Yeah. You've got sale, not sale. What is it called? You've got um, what's that place called? Northern Quarter. Yeah. The Northern Quarter. So there's a there's a, a comedy club there called the Frog and Bucket. Mm-hmm. So they do this competition called Beat the Frog. Sounds a bit weird, um, but yeah. <laughs> but basically the whole premise of the show is you've got to do five minutes of material before before getting booed off stage. So if you get booed off stage or red carded off stage, they give people red cards. If people put their red cards up, that means you have to get off stage. If you make it to five minutes, you get to the final. Ah, I was petrified mm. watching watching people get booed off stage and red car it was absolutely traumatic i almost didn't do it but i ended up making it to the finals of the competition and um i think that was a big step up to how i started getting like regular gigs and yeah it just went from there literally that's how it started um four years later which is actually a very short amount of time i'm is it been four years yeah, four years. But, it, but in that <laughs> yeah. time, you've had the pandemic, so you've had a big chunk where you weren't able to go out there and perform live to people. I mean, it. it I guess the only thing I can relate to is, is in sport, when you step up, the first time you compete, the first time you're in front of a, an audience or a new level, and that the nerves that you get, the, the self-doubt, the, the last minute thinking, what on earth am I doing here? You must have gone through all of that. Um, what drives you on? What makes you want to keep going when you have this, the doubts or the, the, the nerves or the fear at the start? I think with sport, it's more difficult because you're doing something um, physical, like having that doubt, like at what point are you like, okay, yeah, that doubt's gone and I can do it. Like at what point are you, do you put that off? Is it before you start or is it during? Like it can't be during because that could be the difference between you winning and losing, can't it? Uh, well, I think it depends on the sport because you see some people you know, let's say something like tennis, where the 
the momentum can shift from player to player during a, a three-hour match or a four-hour match, whatever. So there'd be times where it gets close to a, a tie-break and the nerves can build up. It's a bit like House of Games, all that, you know. The, the, there's nervous points and tie-breaks. And, and there's times, you know, for me, my races were so short. So you get really, the nerves build right up to the point of on the start line. And almost as soon as you start, the focus is on what you're doing and the nerves go because you're you're in the moment. But it's, I used to get it all the time, the feeling, you know, half an hour before, 10 minutes before, you've got the, all the doubt starts to come out and you've got to kind of answer those doubts or distract yourself from the nerves. But every time, once you get up there, it's the joy of doing it and you finish and you think, what was I worried about? Almost whether, regardless of whether it's gone well or not, it's the feeling of, Oh, that was brilliant. And it's over now. The tension's gone and I can actually realise what it was. And it was just me nervous before the start. So next time when it happens, I'll be totally cool and it'll be fine. <laughs> and inevitably, every time it's the same. And it's I, I just I honestly couldn't think of anything more nerve wracking than stepping up on stage in front of a room full of strangers and trying new material. For example, Oof, you know, same, you, same. you know, it must be I've got so much respect. And, and I think that's where the parallels between sport and comedy kind of align. It's It's just this. You're, you're putting yourself on the line. Your reputation, you're, you know, in sport, you, you're laying it out there for everyone to see. It's this is this is what I've got. This is how hard I've trained. This is how fast I am. How good I am. How skilled I am. And in comedy, it's the same. You're these are my jokes. This is what I've been working on. So that's why I wanted to compare the two. So because, like, for me, I'm really nervous. But once you say that first, once you get that first laugh, that's it. Everything goes. And um, if you never get a first laugh, then you feel like that. Laugh. <laughs> so that, that's why i'm trying to compare like at what point does um when you cycle do you think okay like I, I don't even think about it and for me personally it sounds a bit weird but that's my favorite that 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 point where i'm about to go on stage and that absolute nerves of oh my god what am i doing what am i doing for me that is a moment of um is purity the right word to you? Like whatever's happening in my head, any um, issues that I have, anything I'm worried about, anything like that I'm upset about, anything that like is bringing me down. At that moment, none of that matters. That, those, I would say between five to 10 minutes before you go on stage and you're performing, those 10 minutes for me is literally adrenaline bliss even though I'm nervous and I'm terrified that I'm going to say something wrong or I'm going to bomb, in those 10 minutes, nothing else in the universe matters. Not climate change, not the end of the world, not the still going to be in power. Nothing in those 10 minutes means anything to me. My pure focus is, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And as much as it's a horrible feeling, like of absolute nerves, it's also a beautiful feeling that nothing else in the world right now matters except for that. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Did you ever get that when you were playing football? Because you said that you, you know, if you had the chance, you would have gone on to play at you know, more senior levels and potentially even professional when you were. Was it Portsmouth you were playing for or Southampton? I've forgotten the team you played. For. I wanted to. I wanted to. Um, so I was. I was playing just for like my um school team. Yeah. And um, there was uh like a local team that I played. What is it? I can't remember what it was called, but I wanted to try out for the Southampton girls. Southampton girls. Yeah. Um, when you but when you were playing, did you get a similar feeling before sport, or is it only comedy that's brought that kind of intense focus before the start and the the adrenaline and the nerves? Were you like that with sport? Were you like it with everything? I, no, I think the only I don't think I was ever. Do you know what? That's actually really interesting. I don't think I was ever nervous when playing sport. I was. It was almost like I want to get in there and just prove myself because I was really confident in it especially com- sounds so egotistical compared to a lot of the other girls that I was playing against I was like basically how you felt like in House of Games like this ain't no competition <laughs> <laughs> I never felt that at any point I was I was terrified it's amazing what you could do to mask all that though when you're you're sitting there just just chatting with Richard Osman you know playing it nice and cool <laughs> inside do you think they went on a they you think they went on a camping trip with each other last week the way they were chatting along <laughs> Um, but no, I never. I, I don't think I ever felt. Um, I don't think I ever felt nerves. It was more like it's so different, isn't it? I think I, I, it's so. Did you play up front? You talked about in the charity match. You played um, on the right hand, right side as a forward. Did, was that your natural position, or did you play midfield there and, and up front? Midfield and up front. That's what I played um, the most because I was really fast. So I used to love running as well. That would have been something that would have been fun to do, but it was never really like an option. But they always wanted me midfield or up front because of re- like regardless of my skill, I was really fast. So even like some of the boys, I would always outrun them, which works as an advantage being in that position. But um, no, I don't. Th- Do you know what I loved football? I enjoyed it, but I think maybe in the back of my mind, I knew it was something that I would never be able to pursue long term. So whether I failed or not, I kind of enjoyed it more with the ideology that you know maybe this is never going to amount to anything so just enjoy at the moment whereas with comedy it's something I want to do long term and I really want to succeed with and you know I want to make it to like high up levels so I think that's why I'm more conscious and more nervous with doing really well because unfortunately in this industry if you're like one mistake or one whack gig or one bad whatever it could be the difference of you like not being booked again and you know, not being seen again or not being given a second chance. So whereas with football, with sport, you can flop one race, you can get a gold medal in one race, not win anything another race, and then maybe do another race and get another gold medal. Do do you know what I mean? So it's like you can still succeed. But with my industry, especially like as a woman of colour, like you can flop one and that could be your that could take you however many steps back and there might be no coming back from it. Do, do you feel pressure as, as a kind of role model for future um, comedians coming through that see you as a trailblazer and think, well, there's Ola, if she can do it, maybe I could do it too. Or do you just, are you just thinking about your, you're not, you're not thinking about anyone else. Are you just focusing on your own career, your own self, or do you, do you, do you recognize the role that you're playing in inspiring others? I am under so much pressure to um, represent not only like East African women, but all women, let's all be inclusive, Um, but like Muslims as well. So I have to be really, really careful what I say. Um, I get really iffy, like I'll be like, let me watch it back because um, I'm I'm one of these people that speak before they think. And there have been occasions where I'm like, oh shit, I know I said that. Manager, get me that, get get me that footage. I need to edit this out. That's like, that's like me with Matt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be so careful. And it's not necessarily something that's like really like bad or offensive, but it could be something you like that, um, you know, because you get loads of people on, on socials and stuff. We were speaking about this, weren't we, um, Chris, uh, mm. when we saw each other, that, you know, people are really judgmental online. Now, I don't usually care. I really don't care. But I care about like, my pet I shouldn't care so much but I care but like I don't want to be I don't want to set a bad example you know for the rest of my family because I'm a reflection of how I've been brought up 
so you know like if I'm like swearing like a sailor or something like that it doesn't reflect well on my community if I do something that is against my beliefs for example that's against my religion and I'm openly you know it's you know you've got you've got a responsibility of representing well I do encourage um people to do what they believe in like I do get a lot of people like oh you know I'm really interested in being a comedian I never thought about it because you know I'm I'm a Muslim woman as well but I didn't think that you know there's a space for us and I'm like well there wasn't I didn't feel there was a space for us but I'm creating a space not just for me but like for future people because you know obviously other people are going to want to do it like when I die I'm hoping that there's going to be other people who um I've influenced to do it so that there's more people like us on TV it does irritate me when people think it's easy like I don't know say I was a cyclist and I'm really good at it and I saw Chris who went to the same uni as me he went and got a gold medal I'm like well if Chris can do it, I can do it too I hate that mentality. Oh, I, know, like, I know what you mean. And you see it all the time. I think the better you are at something, the more it looks easy. I think you look at Usain Bolt running, it looks effortless. You look at a, a great comedian on stage, they they look like they're so in control. They know what they're going to say next. They have the audience in the palm of their hands. Good actors, good musicians, whatever it is. Good sports journalists, Matt, um, you know. But it's, you know, a number of times I've read things, oh, you know, got a knighthood. Or riding a bike, I can ride a bike, you know. Or, you know, yeah. you know it's, it's like, yeah, but it's not just riding, it's, it's riding it faster than anyone else, or it's not. And, and even chat shows, you know, you look at the hosts and chat shows, it's it looks effortless. You're just sitting back in the sofa, you're asking questions, you're having a laugh, and you think it they, they make it look so easy. And mm. it's, it's because they're 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 exceptionally good at, at what they do. And yeah, I guess they work up very hard to get to where they are. I think, yeah. you, know, you don't go from well, unless you're some like eaten educated parents in the industry, <laughs> Nepo baby. But like, it's not easy to get to that stage. Like, you have to do the grind of the open mic circuit, performing to people that don't particularly care, traveling, every, and that's what really, um, you know, I get that a lot. I get so, for example, you know, with cycling, for example. I can cycle to work and if I'm running late I'm like oh god I have to cycle to work in five minutes is it possible and when I do I don't cycle to work in five minutes sweating and be like you know what I cycled that really fast I should apply for the Olympics <laughs> like that so when, when people see where I am now or where we are now they don't see all the backlog I, I worked I worked in a hospital nine to five with the late shifts with the on calls with the seven days straight with having to like see and I always say this I worked I, I I was part of the open mic circuit I can only speak for the circuit that I was part of but bruv no one works as hard as me I gigged four times a week I was I was based in uh, Manchester I would travel to Sheffield after work and come back the same night I would travel to Hull same like like two and a half hours I'd, I'd finish work I'd be like ask for early shifts so I'd finish like I'll do seven till two for example go to hell come back and i'll have a shift the next day i worked so hard um to get to where i am i worked on i my main thing that i speak about is not just the um physical or the financial for me it was the emotional so i remember my first paid gig was in a place called harrogate in yorkshire yeah and um that was like an hour and 40 minute drive from where I was working but I was also working on um the oncology ward and um we had I had one patient who had been on the ward for a long time and I'm I'm very like I get that's another reason why I just knew this wasn't for me I get attached to patients very closely and I got particularly attached to this um patient and the day of my first paid gig in front of a promoter that does like books paid gigs that patient I was very close to passed away and I almost didn't do it. I was in such a bad space. It just like, it was, it was, it was one of the most upsetting. Well, there's multiple upsetting times, but I think her particularly, like she always wanted to see me and I had such a strong rapport. So imagine going from that to driving an hour and 40 minutes after ex mentally and physically exhausting day and performing to 150 people it was really, really difficult. But that 10 minutes that I spoke to you about, that 10 minutes was so important for me because at that moment, even though driving up, I was like so, so upset. 
in that 10 minute that focus just switched and some people don't have that time where they're like absolutely perspirating with nerves if I didn't have that I don't know what I would have done so when people say it's easy it's not easy I truly believe what I did in two years was the equivalent of what most people would do in three or four years I gigged four times a week minimum for at least a year and a half and then then I got signed and then COVID hit and COVID was just an absolute nightmare time so most people just like you know you know did this whatever I tried to be proactive so I did a lot of stuff online I recorded a lot of stuff online I started a podcast like I tried to utilize my time as much as possible difference between me and other people comedians like some people went and got jobs but I was still working NHS I was frontline I was one of the one of the um, first 10% of NHS staff to get COVID so it was really tough so I just when people take that away from you and they're like, oh, well, if Ola can do it, I can do it too. It really pisses me off. And I'm like, okay, go on, go on, do it. And yeah. I, I, I run an East African, uh, me and one of my friends, uh, we run an East African um, gig to give people opportunities. And there's one guy, I won't mention his name, absolute bellend. He, he did one gig in his life. And he was like, yeah, um, so Ola, you did the O2. How would I go about doing that? And I'm like, oh, how many gigs have you done? How much experience do you have? He's like, well, I did one gig, yeah. He's um, and I was just like, just shut up. But, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I've got a gig. Come and do it. And we usually we get people with a bit of experience. But I was like, okay, come do it. You know what? I'll give you. Time. I was like, how long do you want? He's like, oh, I've got half an hour. I was like, calm down. It takes about a year or two years to perfect like 10 to 15 minutes perfect it I was like how about I'll give you 10 minutes come and do it he came he bombed and I wasn't doing obviously inside I was like (laughs) 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 I wasn't gonna say that but it was just like I was like no you know what you did well maybe you need to work on this you need to work on that but it was just a lesson for him that it's not easy you know these people that like you know they think they're funny but yeah maybe like your um wife thinks you're funny or your siblings no. find you funny <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean. me neither me neither <laughs> bad example <laughs> funny either. So, like it, it's all right but i think it does take a certain skill and um you know i've bombed like numerous times but you've got to and you learn from it and you okay, what did I do well? What didn't I do well? And it's like a development thing, but people think that you can just step on it and just be like, blah, 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 blah. All the, the best of us, you know, have um, bombed or lost or whatever. But, you know, I think, I think part of this industry, as well as any other competitive kind of industry, it's all about humbleness as well. You have to be humble. You can't, if you have this mentality that I'm better than everyone else and I don't even have to try, I just don't think you're going to get anywhere. I think the um, the comedy world is is fascinating because you get that instant feedback, don't you? You get you, you tell a joke, and it either it lands or it doesn't land, and therefore immediately you know. It's not like you you go you kind of step off and you've got to wait and see and get the feedback or get results or whatever. It's not like an exam; you've got to wait for a few weeks. It's bang. There's your there's your response. Did it land? Did it not land? And therefore that that affects. So I guess it must affect how you're you're thinking and reacting in the moment because it's like well. You're, you're thinking on your feet. You're having to, to think, well, I've got this, you'll have an act, I guess, but you'll also have within that wiggle room to, to wait, that didn't land. So maybe I'll skip the next joke and go on to the next one. Or, or well, they, heckle they, 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 well, yeah, heck, I mean, how do you deal with heckle? How do you, because you have, in my mind, like when I was going in, in a sporting context, you have your, your plan and you visualize it and you rehearse it and you physically train and you have it all lined up. It'd be the equivalent of having a, I don't know, a cat running onto the track during the Kieran and having to cycle around it. So how how do you how do you when you've got your plan, you've got your your whole um you know, your whole act planned out, and then someone shouts something out which completely throws you right in the middle of your I guess you have certain stories you're telling which are leading towards the big crescendo and they're gonna completely derail it. So how how do you how do you cope with that? So sometimes it's like um lighthearted, so the equivalent of you going over a pebble on the track and sometimes it could be a massive heckler which is the equivalent of a toddler running onto the track and you're going at like whatever 40 miles per hour and you're like oh my god do I hit this toddler and <laughs> potentially win or do I drive around him and lose like what would you do obviously I'd always hit the toddler but, um, 
it's it's like I'm 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 about I was I'm going to post something in the next few days about one of the most awkward awkward heckles, and I've never like people laugh not at how I dealt with it, but how I didn't deal with like I didn't deal with it. It's like what, what do I say to that? So I make a joke about someone, and um someone was like that's a bit insensitive. Three of their friends died, and I'm just like. Okay, <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> and then it was it just and it just got more and more and more. And I had what if someone heckles about death, all you can do is joke about death. Like what else am I gonna joke about? So this person was sitting near the front, and I swear to God, guys, Chris and Matt, he was sat like this, and he was looking at me like this. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> And you can see in my set that I was, and that's what people were laughing. I was, when someone's like literally staring at you like this and he had like bulging eyes, he was like, oh God. You, you can't help but look at him, but then you, you try and avoid eye contact. So people were laughing at the fact that I was doing everything I can not to look in that direction. And obviously the jokes that I was saying about the death of these people were getting quite Bad, but I just didn't know what to say. And I literally say, I'm like, guys, I actually don't know where I'm going. <laughs> more and more awkward. And um at one point I'm like, maybe this is a good time to start talking about my mother. And everyone just explodes with laughter. But this guy has them and he just this guy doesn't blink. I was like, Do you have an eye condition or something? He just doesn't blink. <laughs> And by the end of it, I'm just like, I say to the guy who's um, he's at Top Secret Comedy Club in Covent Garden, really good comedy club. I'm just like, please tell me I've run out of time. Just tell me I've run out. Even if I haven't, just tell me I've run out. Yeah, but to be fair, you don't sit in the front row of a comedy gig without expecting to get something. You know, it, to, to sit down in that front row, you're going to get either picked on, you're going to, something's going to happen. You know, you can't expect to have a, an easy run of it if you're in the front row. But I'm thankful to him because um, we watched that back and that part was by far the funniest part of the whole gig. Even I watched it back and I'm in hysterics of laughter. I should have just brushed him off or pretended like I didn't hear him. Um, so those kinds of hecklers, like, you just, you just have to think on the spot. If it hadn't been comedy, if you had, if you'd had, let's say, looking back now, you had the choice of doing any any sport at all professionally. Would it would it have been football? Would you? Uh, is there any basketball. sport you've not tried? Basketball. Ah. Basketball. I used to play it a little bit. I think maybe I'm too short to be a basketball player, and um, I always get mocked by my brothers because I have really like skinny wrists. They're oh. really feeble. Even until today, in my old age. Like, um, if I ever wear like a t-shirt or something, my older brother, the doctor, he'd like, he grabs my fingers and he does this. And like, I'd lose, like, I'd have, like, lose control. And he'd be like, you're so flimsy. And like, they would do this thing where they'd like, be like, see if they can bend my, that's, you know, we have a normal upbringing. Um, but like, I, I'm just really feeble. And I just don't think that I would, I know my upper body is like so weak. So I don't think I would have ever succeeded, but I loved playing basketball. But you can train strength, though. You can work on that. Having wobbly wrists, you know, you could you can work on that. And uh, you, you couldn't necessarily grow any taller, but there's there's been lots of pro <laughs> professional basketballers that have been shorter than the, you know, the massive seven-foot guys. You get some really short guys that are fast, and you, you say you're fast, so you never know. You could you could have been a professional basketballer. Do you know what? I tried to, um, I really wanted to get into it, and I really tried, like I used to play, and I really tried to train my upper body, and there's certain like exercises you do, but it started to, um, I don't know if you can see on the screen. Oh, yeah. I ended up having wrist surgery. And, oh, wow. Yeah, that was, yeah, basketball was never going to be, um, was never going to be a thing. But I still like enjoyed it. I played sometimes, but just like, um, we have a court not far from my house, and my husband used to uh, play for like his college team i don't do a very good american accent <laughs> so he plays basketball and i used to go lean in and we used to like um shoot the ball and this and that but I, my wrist used to really play up a lot um but no i do i did enjoy it i really enjoyed it i always liked the idea of doing a sport that didn't need a lot of cardio is dart play is that considered a sport Oh, yeah, it is definitely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, and uh, I wouldn't again not giving away too much, but yeah, I won a dartboard recently at a certain event I was doing. 
So if you want, if you want to come out and practice anytime, all that. <laughs> Just saying, I haven't got it yet. It's not arrived yet. My, I don't know if your your prize has arrived yet. I think he's well, what's that, what's that magician called? Um, the one that makes you um like reads your mind and makes. Oh, you Darren think. Brown. I, I think Chris is a bit of a Darren Brown. I think this whole conversation, he 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 put in little hints here and there to get me to say darts by the end of it. Yeah. So he can throw in that drop it in. Ball. Yeah, the old humble brag. Yeah, drop it in. Did Did you have any um, sporting misadventures or calamities when you were playing sport, football, or otherwise, or did you come away relatively unscathed by your wrist surgery? I guess. Oh, I played basketball once and I got into a bit of a fight and I was sent off and I didn't really play for the college team again, unfortunately. It wasn't really my fault, though. Um, I think that was that was the only um, really big misadventure I ever had. Um, I think growing up playing with guys, I did get quite a lot of like um, injuries. You know, I think when people get competitive, they forget who they're playing against. Like, have you have you seen um, that movie Little Man? With the Marlon brothers. Have you seen it? No, I don't think I have. Oh, so um, one of the... Yeah, yeah, it's funny. But it just reminded me of one of the scenes where um, one of the dads, you were talking about competitive dads. One of the dads is really competitive. So there were two teams and one of the teams had like loads of kids in it and they were playing American football and he was like, hurt, hurt. And he took the ball and he was pushing the kids and he was <laughs> nudging them. He was like flipping them over, <laughs> like he had zero mercy. He just wanted to win. Basically, like, like Boris Johnson when he was playing football <laughs> with that little kid. He, <laughs> he, he was playing football, but he actually did like rugby, drop the shoulder, and the kid's about six. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh my god, that guy's nuts. <laughs> so when I was playing football, when I was like in um, like secondary school, going up to college. A lot of the times it was mixed teams because there wasn't enough um, women playing at the time. And it was really tough. Like, we'd always get, like, injuries here and there because, like, I think sometimes the guys forget who they're playing against and you get proper, like, shoved and this and that. Um, and I think that was the importance. And that's why I really enjoyed playing for an all-girls team because they're, they're still fantastic at it. But you at least you feel like there's a chance of, like, um, winning and succeeding in your sport. But it was really like um, tough play, especially like with my brothers. My brothers were like a little bit more sympathetic because they knew and they'd pass the ball more to me and this and that. But like you almost got like, um, you're, you know, the girls can't play. So you didn't get, and sometimes I'd be clear and I'd be like, pass, 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 pass. But they'd rather pass it to someone who's surrounded by like 50 other players than pass it to me who's open because they're like, oh, what's she going to do? She's not going to kick the ball properly. <laughs> but you but proved yeah, think, them wrong. Well, not doing football anymore so i think i proved them right well, yeah but the same with comedy it's you know it just seems like it's it's proving people wrong it's it's proving you know to yourself you can do things that you you aren't sure whether you can do them or not it's trying new things it's it's taking big steps and it's taking risks and and that's part of the fun in life it is it is it, i can't wait for the day that someone says oh my god you're really funny without having to say oh my god you're really funny or a woman that's what they I'm don't saying. say they don't say that to your face, do they? Oh my God, yeah. Like, oh, no. Yeah, you're well funny for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Deary okay. me, that's shocking. Well, listen. So, have you got any tours coming up? Are you you're touring at the moment, or what's what's your schedule? Writing a lot at the moment. So I'm I'm doing uh, mostly um writing for shows um for for that kind of thing. Um, performing here and there. Um, I'm doing a work in progress show, so I've got my first hour. So I'm doing um, a few shows here and there, uh, working on my hour. But yeah, I think I've had like quite a speedy uh, few months. So now I'm just focusing on like building the foundations again. And yeah, next time I have an hour show. You are you both based in Scotland? I'm in Manchester or Cheshire, and Matt is kind of he's an Brist international man of mysteries. He's Brist all over Brist the place. Bristol's home. When I when I at Shet Home, yeah, yeah. oh, I love Bristol. Big East African community there, and great food. Yeah, lovely food here. It's yeah, I love Bristol. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye out for your new material, and uh, we'll have to come and see you perform live as well. I've been checking out all your YouTube clips and stuff oh, on Instagram. Uh, it's brilliant. So yeah. Well, next time I'm in Manchester, I'll let you know, and I'll get you brilliant. some tickets. Too much and fun. I'll sit in the front row like that. With my <laughs> <arms> <laughs> Chris, Chris, <laughs> I will roast. You. <laughs> my whole hour 
that show will be literally just evolved around you. <laughs> oh, and um, one of my friends is a um, is uh, is a fan, Chris, and she told oh, me really? to say, oh, "This is so cringe, but I'm going to say it anyway." She told me to say, "Ahoy, hoy." <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Monty Burns. I don't, yeah, Monty Burns was it. Used to say that. Well. Say a hoy hoy back from me. That's, that's okay. Do you, do you get that a lot? I, I um, do you know he says that to me a lot, Gethin Jones, who's a pal, and he he always says a hoy hoy, and I'm like, all right, Gethin, thanks very much. Shout <laughs> <laughs> out, out to Gethin, tough love. Um, Lovely. Yeah, I used to get a hoy there a lot as a kid, like a lot. And then when you have kids, you then got to think about their initials and their names and how that links to hoy. So you can't have. Andrew or Alison or anything beginning with A because then they're Ahoy, Ahoy. Oh, ho, ho, you know, you've got to think of all these, there's all these complications with, with a strange name like Hoy as your surname. But um, yeah. Oh my God, try it with Olas. I get Ola Ola, <laughs> very funny. Um, <laughs> I get um, Ola Coca Cola, Ola Ebola, Ola Tombola. Oh God, the list goes on. Um, I've had them all. One time someone was like, haha, it's solar power. Uh, we get a lot of that in the summer. And I was just like, okay, that's a new one. Thank you. Thank right you for that. But during yeah. the Ebola time, oh my God, that oh, was so dramatic for me. Oh my God. I'm so glad Corona doesn't isn't Corolla because then I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> could have been worse. It could, could have been, been worse. worse. Indeed. Yeah. Well, but, listen, um, thank, thank you so thank much you, for having me today. Thank you so much for your time and great to meet you the other day. And thanks for your stories and yeah keep keep working hard and enjoying what you're doing and we'll uh, thank see you, you soon. definitely thank you it was lovely meeting you as well matt yeah thank you very much lovely to meet you too been great thanks, okay, take care of yourself guys bye. Take bye. Care. Bye. Bye. Bye.